you know, you know about the call. Um, the, the, most of you have had the call. You have probably had it a few times in your life. Um, you hear the phone ring oftentimes in the middle of the night and you know that unless it's some kid prank calling or something, that something is wrong. Um, the first call I remember having was probably, I think I was probably in fourth grade or that my parents took and I listened in. Earlier that day, I watched my uh, 14 or 15 year old neighbor, name was Lori Blair, next door neighbor. She and her friend were over, it was in the summer, so her parents were at work. They were home from school in the summer months. I was playing in the front yard. They were they were playing around with her dad's um, like 50s model Chevy pickup truck that he was restoring. And it was running, but it just needed body work. And, and so they were kind of messing around with it in the driveway. They had the keys. Well, they started backing it out of the driveway. And they told me uh, they were going to take a ride around the neighborhood. Don't tell anybody. And I didn't say anything, and they backed out of the neighborhood. About 30 minutes later, my parents were inside packing. We were about to leave on vacation. About 30 minutes later, we were on the road uh, to Austin, Texas for a few nights. And, uh, again, this was before cell phones. So it was when we arrived uh, to uh, the, the place we were staying in Austin, we got the call. And it was from a different neighbor. And... This neighbor told us that both girls were killed in a car accident. Um, they took their joyride out of the neighborhood. And they went out on a rural highway. Wheels got off the road. They overcorrected and went head on into a cement mixing truck. Instantly killing them both. I sobbed all night long. That was the first time I had known anybody close that died. Um... I felt responsible. Um, I was racked with guilt for a long time. I remember the call I got from my dad saying that my mom had pancreatic cancer. I was shopping late one evening for just picking up a few things at Publix grocery store. And they had a, as I was talking with my dad, I was in the dairy section. And we're always in the dairy section when we go to the grocery store. We always need a gallon of milk. Um... I can remember exactly where I was. I walked to the front of the store. Uh, just in a daze, there was, they had a lawn chair set up. Uh, just, it was in the summer and just for a display. I sat in one of those chairs and just wept. There was the call. We got it together for the gospel five and a half years ago. We had just, several of the elders and some other men, we just heard a talk on preparing your church for suffering. And we got the call that Lucas had been in a serious motorcycle accident. And we huddled. And we prayed. And just a little later, while 4,000 men were singing, belting it out, it is well with my soul, um, we got word that he had died. You have your own personal stories, deeply personal stories about the call. Um, how can you possibly be prepared for it? How can you be ready for that tsunami of pain and confusion and grief that just crashes on you in that moment? 
What, how, do you, how do you prepare for that? How do you brace yourself for a storm that you don't even know is coming? Well, this is... This is what Psalm 27 helps us for. It's a song for the storm, and we need this. Jesus told the disciples, and he tells us very plainly, that in this world you will have trouble. The Bible is brutally honest about life post-fall. That trouble is and always will be a part of this world that's broken by sin until the Lord restores Things. We live in a dangerous place. Every one of us lives in Tornado Alley. Just consider the types of storms that we just read about in Psalm 27. And there are more than I'm listing, but just a few. There's the day of trouble in verse 5. This is uh, this word trouble. It's just a common word in the Hebrew for bad. Bad. Bad things. The idea here is just the, the unpleasantness of life that is caused by sin. Every bad thing in life has its roots at, at some point down in sin. It all goes back to the fall. It's not how God intended things to be. Sometimes, though, bad stuff just comes upon us like an avalanche and just totally overwhelms us and crashes on us. That's the day of trouble. That's, that's the call. It's... Shakespeare said in Hamlet, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. A day of trouble, disease, tragic accidents, weather disasters, stock market crash, job loss, and on and on and on. This is, this is one way in which storms come at us. Another way in which storms come is that there's the storm of being sinned against. Of being sinned against. And we see this throughout very clearly in this psalm. And this seems to be the primary primary storm that David is, is referring to. Some of the fiercest storms come from direct attacks from other people. Something that is said to us. Something that is done to us. Sometimes those things are kind of mundane. And sometimes they are just completely devastating. And life altering. David knew well about this. Being sinned against. Verse 2, evildoers assail him. They, they want to eat up his flesh. Verse 3, armies rise against him. There are trained soldiers encamped all around David who, who have won nothing less than his violent death. In verse 10, he's forsaken by, he, he mentions being forsaken by his family, even uh, close companions. In verse 12, false witnesses rise against him. They breathe out violence against him. I mean, some of the greatest pain comes from being sinned against those by whom, by those to whom we're close to. That hurts the most. Those that we trust. It could come in the form of abandonment. Or unfaithfulness, adultery, or abuse. There's the storm of sin. Not their sin, our sin. Verse 9, we, we see this. But we're a danger to ourselves. The danger of this fallen world and life in the fallen world isn't just around us. It's within us. We can be our own worst enemies. And, and so verse 9, David's aware of his sin. He, de, he knows that he deserves not to see the face of God. He deserves to be the back, see the back of God's head. He deserves God's anger. And there are times... In life, and there are troubles in life that come to us as a direct result of consequences of our sin. 
Forgiveness is available to us when there's repentance and it can be granted quickly. But there is oftentimes this debris trail that's left behind. And there are, there are days, weeks, years of, of, of mess that, that has to be cleaned up. And so there's, there's trouble because of our sin. There's another danger and a storm that's not really explicit in our text, but it's very explicit in in the Bible. And it's it's the reality that we have a cosmic enemy in the devil himself who wants to undo us. The enemy of our souls who wants to, to sow and to work deceit and division and destruction and ultimately death. Anywhere that he can. So there's trouble. There's trouble everywhere. The question isn't, is, gonna, is trouble going to come to my life? The, it's the question that we have before us this morning is, when the storms come, when trouble comes, where will I run for shelter? And that's what Psalm 27 helps us with. Psalm 27 is that the, the, the message is that when the storms of, of life are raging, seek shelter in the Lord. Run to Him. Hide in Him. Rest in Him. I mean, Psalm 27 is such a, just like so many psalms that speak of comfort and lament and put all these things together. It's a song of, full of honesty, but also full of hope. It, 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 it balances this tension between the day of trouble and the God of grace. He doesn't downplay the trouble and he, he, he's very clear and explicit and, and, and open and honest about the reality of sorrows and hardships in life. But he, but his ultimately his gaze is upon the goodness of God. And he wants us to see that. It's about fear, yes, but that fear gives way to confidence before the Lord. It's about danger, but, but it points to the safety that can be found in the Lord. It's about sadness, but it's punctuated by songs of joy to the Lord. It's about rejection, but it rejoices in our acceptance by the Lord. It's about action, but it finds its strength in waiting on the Lord. So we need this psalm. As real and as difficult and as painful as the troubles of life are, we see here that there is a God of awesome grace who meets us in the darkest and most difficult times of our lives. He invites us to shelter in Him, to take refuge in Him. So just I think four statements this morning. We're just going to walk through it. Don't expect, there's no PowerPoint, there's no outline. You can just listen if you want. I'm fine with that. If you want to take notes, there's some blank sheet in your outline, in your bulletin. First thing, when, the, when storms are raging, first thing, put your confidence in the Lord alone. Put your confidence in the Lord alone. Verse 1. Let's read it again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David isn't singing, I trust you, Lord, I'm confident in you, I, uh, all my days are in your hands. He's not singing that on when the sun is shining and there's a nice breeze blowing and everything's just going swimmingly. It's not it. He's, he's singing about his confidence in the Lord when there are deadly arrows flying right at his head. When he's surrounded and he sees no way of escape, humanly speaking. 
And notice how personal this confession of David is. This isn't some abstract, just theological truism. No, it's, it's theology, but it's deeply personal. These are deeply settled convictions of David. He says, you are my light. It's my salvation. My stronghold. My shelter. Rock. Is the Lord your light, salvation, stronghold in the day of trouble? Is your confidence in Him alone? Or, or do you look to other things for safety and comfort and help? And, and do you lean on other things than God? And when trouble comes, where do you run? What do you turn to when storms build and just completely overwhelm you? Do you turn to food? You turn to entertainment, just kind of distraction, just veg out. You turn to just get busy, the other side of that, get busy with activity and just gonna, just gonna, just get active so I don't have to think about things. Do you, do you, do you get anger and retreat to bitterness? That is, that is, I know that sounds contradictory, but there is a comfort in just being angry and bitterness and we turn in on ourselves and we find solace and just raging inside. There's, there's, we can seek comfort in just material things. If I just had this, I'd be happy. And that's what I, I really need this. So we get online and buy it. Vacations, I just got to get away. Or, or maybe more than a vacation. I need to just, there's, there's, there's got to be a change in my life. I'm, we're going to move. We're packing it up. We're gonna, I'm going to start a new career. Something's got to change. Something big. That's what you're going to lean on. The Lord says, David says, the Lord the Lord is my light in darkness. The Lord is my salvation when I'm, again, when all the odds are against me, when there's no hope of deliverance otherwise. The Lord is my stronghold when the winds are howling and the, and the waves are just crashing against me. It's the Lord. He's my shelter. Will you be confident in God and God alone when you get the call? Will you really trust Him alone when, when your whole world seems to be Turned upside down. That's the first thing that we see. When storms go, put your confidence in the Lord alone. Second thing is we need to gaze hard at God. Gaze hard at God. Because what, what do we tend to do when troubles come in our lives? I mean, I'm talking myself. What, where, where, do we, where does our attention often go? Particularly when we've been wrong, when someone has sinned against us, which is the context of Psalm 27, when there is enemies attacking us, and somebody has has unjustly done harm to us and is trying to, well, what do we do? We, it's easy to lay on our bed tonight and just meditate upon that sin, on what has been done to us. We meditate upon evil. We we meditate on the pain that has been caused to our to us because of that evil. We put this mental DVD on a loop in our head. And we just run it over and over and over and again in our minds what somebody did to us or what somebody said to us. We can go there. We can picture what it will be like to settle the score finally. To say something or do something that will hurt them in the way that we've been hurt by them. Is this where we need to go? Is this what we need to fix our minds on in the day of trouble? If says no. We need to fix our gaze on God. He... This is where this is where we go in the day of trouble. Look where David runs. One thing, verse four, I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell on the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When you're wrong, where you where do you run? Where do you go? Where do you look? What do you think about? 
There's only one place that your heart can be healed and restored and satisfied and comforted and protected. It won't be healed by distractions. It won't be satisfied with retaliation. It won't be restored by just the simple passage of time. Time heals all wounds. That's a that's bogus. You will only be healed, satisfied, restored, and at rest when you're filled with the beauty of the Lord. You need a bigger view of God. He's got to be large in your thoughts and in your affections. And so does David want deliverance from his troubles? You better believe it and he's asking for it. But, but, but more than that, he wants God. But not, he's not just praying for escape. He's praying for an ongoing experience of God himself. And he continues, verse 5, For he, he himself will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So what does God give us in the day of trouble? He gives us himself. He gives us himself. When the violent winds of trouble blow against you, you need to be like Peter, who, not focusing on the wind and the waves, at least initially, but just, just preoccupied with Christ. Eyes on Jesus. Meditating on the Lord, thinking deeply and lovingly about the Lord, reading the scriptures, seeing him there. I mean, reading through the Psalms. This is what a what a treasure trove God has given us of comfort and sorrow. And we have so many of these Psalms that that that, that speak of of this comfort and trouble. And, and how is comfort offered? What is what form does it come in? It comes in reminding us of God's person and his perfections. We're just, our minds are, in, are grown and enlarged to think greater thoughts of God. That's what we need. But, but David isn't saying these things. Oh, one thing I ask of the Lord, I just gaze upon the beauty of God. Again, he's not writing these. He's not a, he's not living in the clouds. He's not just a dreamer and just, oh, it'd just be great to gaze on God. No, he's, he's not, that's not it. That's not the picture is that he's, there's again, there's a hostile army encamped around him. He's just thinking about God. He he knows the army's there. He's not denying the reality. He's not he's not downplaying that the pain and the how fearful he is. But he's saying, God, that's where my gaze needs to be, and I I can I can be still before the Lord even when the storm rages, if I can only have Him. So when storms come, we we need to put our confidence in God alone. We need to gaze at God. We need to thirdly put your heart pour out your heart to God in prayer. Pour out your heart to God in prayer. Verses 7 to 12. This is, this is where David, he turns to God and he prays. And this prayer, like all prayer, it grows out of an awareness of need. Of his neediness. It's an expression of total dependence upon God. That's what prayer is. When we pray and we call upon God, we're saying, God, we can't, we, we can't but you can. We don't have it, but you You do. I don't know, but you, you know. So we, we're calling upon God. We're saying that we're insufficient in ourselves, but He is sufficient for all things and we need Him. 
Sometimes God brings us into situations by His grace in which we feel totally overwhelmed. And we just have to say, God, if you don't come through, I'm done. I cannot do this without you. And so verse 7, he calls out to God, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. He's just begging God, you've got to hear me, Lord. And he's not, he's not begging God for help because he deserves it. No, he's begging God based upon his grace. It's not rooted, his praying is not rooted in his own merit. It's rooted in God's mercy. Be gracious to me. Answer me. But there's this urgency. There's this pleading with God. Verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Again, we're not just going to God looking for answers from Him. We're wanting Him. And and, and notice in verse 8. It's this graphic language. My heart says to you. Tell yourself, I would say. Tell yourself to seek God's face. There's, there's always this internal conversation going, in, going on inside every single one of us. We're, our, we're, our hearts are talking. We're talking to ourselves. We're always talking. But what we need to do is, as David's saying, exhort yourself. Exhort yourself to trust God. To seek His face when trouble comes. He goes on. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not Oh, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And we sing, what? That doesn't sound... That sounds a little different. Now, we we need to remember, David is living under a different dispensation here. Let me just bring it to our context. And uh, I don't want to linger here. But on this side of the cross, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God and you've put your faith in Christ and Him alone, and you've been... Uh, justified by faith in Christ, declared righteous in the sight of God, new creature in Christ, born again, all of these expressions that the scriptures talk about, salvation. If that is true of you, then you don't ever have to worry about seeing the back side of God's head. God will never turn His face away from you. He will never hide His face from you if you are in Christ. Why? Why is that true? Why will we, why can we be absolutely confident that the Lord will never look away from us no matter what we do? No matter how grave, how grievous our sin is against God, if we are truly in Christ, why will we never know the sting of being forsaken by God? Have Him turn His face away in us, from us in anger. It's because, in one of the most in, in, I would say, the most dramatic moment in human history, Jesus willingly subjected himself, in a sense, to the rejection of the Father. He, he took on our sin. He allowed himself to stand in our place. He willingly looked at the back of God's head, I think, during those three hours of darkness, so that we would never look at anything but his face. In verse 10, it says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I, I think this is hypothetical. I, there's no evidence that David's parents actually abandoned him. But he's saying that even if they did, he's confident. God will welcome me. Even those closest people that are closest to me, if they turn against me, God's arms are wide open. And they're welcoming of me. I just say to, to all of us, if it doesn't matter who you've been hurt by in life, 
Who you've been forsaken by. Who you've been sinned against. Those who should love you. Those who should care for you. Those who should have had your best interest in mind and in their heart. Those who you should have been able to trust. Even if you experience the pain of being forsaken by, by your own parents. Or by your own spouse. Or by a close friend. No matter who it is. God himself will take you in. Himself. Verse 11, at the end of this prayer, went, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me and they breathe out violence. And what's going on here is David knows his heart well enough to know that how easy it is to sin when sinned against. I think that's what, what he's saying here. This is what he's praying. It's easy to retaliate when wronged. So you see in Psalm 4, be angry and do not sin. It is easy to be angry and to sin, particularly when we've been sinned against. So he's asked the Lord to lead him on a level path, the text says, because of my enemies. He wants to be led by the Lord, not by his passions and his emotions and his feelings when the heat is turned up. He says, I want you to lead me on a level path, Lord. I want to walk faithfully before you, no matter what comes against me. God, help me not to respond out, to be led by anything but you in my response. And again, we need that word. We know when troubles come, how easy it is as a moment of weakness. And the enemy would love to get a foothold into our life in those times of trouble and sorrow and pain. And, and, and just plant the seeds of bitterness and anger and revenge and whatever else it is, to, 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 that we would be led by anything other than the Lord. Last thing, verse 13 and 14. When storms come, when storms rage, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a great, that's a great statement. Uh, it's, I, be, I believe it's coming, Lord, that day, someday, someday. We, we all dream about what will happen someday, don't we? And we, we? We talk about that language. Someday I'll get my finances in order and, and everything will be fine and life will be much easier. Someday I'll meet somebody and I'll get married and I won't have my heart broken again. Someday I'll be able to forget some wrong that was done to me and I'll be able to move on someday 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 there are th- th- those kinds of some days are really just kind of like mental pills that we take for for our discontented hearts and and dissatisfied hearts to help us get through hard days the someday of psalm 27 is very different than how we often than our some days He's not, he's not just wishing and hoping. He's not daydreaming about when all the trouble disappears. He's, it's actually less about his future and more about his identity. And this is what I mean. You, you need to understand, again, the, the, the context of David as being the author of this psalm. Who is David? He's one of God's chosen ones. He's the object of God's love. He's the recipient of God's promises. That's who he is. And so David has this hope for the future because of who he is before God. 
It's not that he's looking out at the forecast of the future circumstances and saying, okay, things are going to get better. It's a better day coming. No, it's, he's, it's because of who he is in God. It's because of what God has promised to him that he has this hope for the future. And so for us, trusting in God is not, is not just some thin veneer of, of hope in some not very certain future. But someday I hope things get better. No, it's a certainty that what God has promised will come to pass. That God holds, it's a confidence that God holds our past, our present, and our future securely in His hands. That, that, that His someday isn't really just someday, it's, it's, it's a will be. It's going to happen. The best is yet to come. And that is an unshakable hope that we have in the Lord. And so then we get to verse 14. We can, we can now, we can now hear these words and take them to heart. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait. You just wished it ended at verse 13, don't you? We'll see the goodness of the Lord. Amen. He says, wait for the Lord. We, we are not generally good at waiting. But waiting for the Lord is not like sitting and waiting in rush hour traffic. You're just waiting for something to end and so you can move on. It's not you're just looking for something to kind of occupy your time and distract you from just the fact that you're just kind of stalled out here and just killing time while so you can just get through this, get home, get to where you need to be. That, that's not it. Waiting, waiting has meaning, it has purpose. It's not an interruption of God's plan for us. It's part of God's plan and design for us. He has good purpose in the waiting, not just on what's on the other side of the waiting. God uses waiting for our good. It's a gift of His grace to help us to see that we're not in control. But we are, we are in the, in the, the, the God, the Father, the loving and good and gracious Father is in control. We can trust Him. But, but don't think that while we're waiting, that God is passive. That He's resting or just, okay, well just wait there. Like this is what we just wait there. I need, I need, just need to sit down. I need to have my coffee and we'll do this later. I know parents never say things like that to kids, but God is working while we're waiting. He's doing. He's always working. He, he will not rest until every promise that He has made is fulfilled. He will not rest until every one of His children is, is transformed into His likeness. He will not rest until every single one of His enemies is firmly under His feet. He, he, he's working. He's always working. And so the waiting is just this confidence that the God who is able to do, again, as we've talked about, Far more abundantly than all that we could even ask or think. That God is working for my behalf and for His glory and my good. That's, that's the confidence that we have. That we can wait. Again, we're not just in, it's not just focused on, on the end and the termination of what we're waiting on. It's focused on the Lord. So I'm just, I trust you, Lord. So the call. Where, where will you turn when you get the call? Psalm 27, it points us in the right direction. All of the, as it's been said, all of the fingers of Psalm 27, they point to Jesus. It's not a messianic psalm as, as 
Old Testament scholars will classify Psalms. No, but under the surface, we see Jesus Christ clearly. Jesus came to earth. He he came knowing that, that he would face trouble. But he was not afraid. And we just layer Psalm 27 over what we know of Christ. He knew that his father would be his light and his salvation and his stronghold. When, the, when he faced trouble, he, he knew that his enemies would stumble and would fall. In that most dramatic moment on the cross, the, Jesus cried for his father not to turn away in anger. It was Jesus who said he would not be alone, even though his father and mother would forsake him. Jesus faced the false witnesses who were intent on violence against him. Underneath all of, underneath the psalm, there is this, there are these undertones of sin and redemption. And they point us to the Redeemer, to our Redeemer from sin. To the one who suffered injustice and violence and forsakenness, that we might know forgiveness, acceptance, life, hope. We're directed to Jesus Christ. And so, Did you get the call last week or last month? Will you get it this week? Or this is this is its own awful sorrow. Will you have to make that call? I I, I don't know. I don't know what what your week holds. But I, I pray, I pray and I beg God that we would seek shelter in the Lord when it comes. May God help us to that end. We. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would quiet our restless hearts. That we would be still before you. No matter what's swirling in our lives, no matter how violent the currents seem to be. Um, maybe, maybe things are calm now, but this week there's unexpected there's we don't see the storm clouds building but they're just going to crash on us and and i pray that in that moment god you'll help us to recall what you've spoken here in psalm 27 through through your servant david that 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 we can wait upon you that you are our shelter you are our light you are our salvation whom whom shall i fear you are the stronghold of our life. Whom shall we be afraid? In the day of trouble, you, you shelter us, God. We need your shelter. We are not sufficient to stand on our own, God. You have made us to be dependent upon you. And I pray that we would own that dependence, God. And gladly and willingly and joyfully um, take refuge uh, within the strong arms that you have extended to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.